Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Centralia Improv Podcast. My name is Patrick McCartney. I am a teacher at the People's Improv Theater in New York City and a member of Centralia Improv. Today on the podcast, I'm talking with Jody Lennon. Jody is a writer and an improviser. She's worked on Difficult People, At Home with Amy Sedaris, and was a regular at The Annoyance in Chicago and the one in New York. Uh, I look forward to you hearing this conversation with Jody Lennon. The following podcast is in no way related to Centralia, Pennsylvania. And now, direct from New York City, an island off the coast of America, it's the Centralia Improvisational Podcast. Jody, thank you so much for doing this podcast, the Centralia Improv Podcast. Thanks uh, for having me. I know you from Chicago in the 90s. Yes. Which is sort of the running theme with everybody I talk to on the podcast. And I know you've had an incredibly cool and interesting career as a performer and a writer. What are you working on right now? Right now, I'm working on a show with Jenna Friedman for mm. AMC Plus slash Sundance mm -hmm. called Indefensible. And, and it's a true crime show through a feminist lens. Mm. It's her season two. And uh, yeah, just lit started a week ago. Wow. And when you, at this point, as a writer, do you, are, do you know people that are on, staffed on the show or do you still submit or how's that? What's that like? So this show, I'm a co-EP on, so I'm not a writer on it. And then, uh, uh. but the show before I was a writer on, and that might be more helpful to this conversation, which was called, uh, Would I Lie to You? which is right. a panel show out of the UK, and we just did the American version. Mm -hmm. And um, that show I was a writer on and a co-EP on, and I was brought in on that show through the gentleman named Jim Biederman, who's a comedy producer who I've known in the past. And he asked me to be involved in the show, and we had a small writing team for that show. Um, which was great. Eric Drysdale, Sarah Schaefer, Keisha Zolar. Mm -hmm. um, it was the five of us writing. That must be really nice to have a small writer's room. It was nice, but the, it wasn't a room. We were, it's the pandemic, so we were oh, still were on else, our yeah. own. But I yeah. did get a um, water cooler for my office, and I bought one of those sacks of potato chip snacks, like the sample pack, so I felt like I was in a writer's room. <laughs> where are you where are you from jody i am from i was born in connecticut but then we moved to maine during my formative years mm -hmm. so i like to think of maine is mostly forming me where in connecticut newtown oh yeah, yeah. poor newtown yeah so so how do you, so you go to high school in Maine, your formative years? Yes, I went to Falmouth High School, and it was a small high school. There were only 98 in my graduating class. Wow. And it was interesting because it wasn't, there wasn't like a theater program. Um, and I saw an improv, um, I saw an improv show at my project graduation, which is Project Graduation a universal thing? Do you know what that is? I've never heard of it. <laughs> it was like the alcohol-free graduation celebration, and they tried to make huh. it like, hey, attend Project Graduation. And it was like a week-long um, group of activities, and they would have like a hot air balloon tethered to sandbags and um, a petting zoo and a dance and... Like all these things trying to keep kids from drinking and partying for graduation. Right. And so one of wow, the activities. Wow, that's really smart. <laughs> yeah. And so one of the activities was an improv show. And it was 
a couple that did improv and I was one of the people that went on stage as a volunteer mm. and I loved it. And thinking back, it was probably not like the improvisation that I like now, but it was definitely the kind of thing where I was like, oh, wow, I really liked being on stage for five minutes. Mm -hmm. And before that experience, were you, did you know you were funny? Did you, did you, were you enamored of certain comedians? What was your, what were your influences? Um, I'm from, my grandmother was very funny. My family laughs a lot. I have a very comedic family. We all did bits from the Carol Burnett show. Yes. I, I knew all the sketches. Yes. I could do all the parts. Yeah. Loved it. That, yeah, that was, was the a biggie. Loved. Mm -hmm. Did you grow yeah. up with Carol Burnett show? Yeah, my mom was obsessed with it. Yeah. I loved yeah. it. And Carol Burnett was a huge influence. Mm -hmm. um, SNL was, but more so David Letterman. I loved, I was the, I was always getting in trouble for staying up too late watching Letterman. <laughs> and my mom would always say, fine, if you're watching it, because I had a small TV in my bedroom. Yeah. Um, she's like, fine, if you're watching it, you have to not argue when you get up in the morning. And inevitably, it was a chore to get me up in the morning because, you know, in high school, why do you have to go to high school so early? Like, I think I had to get up at like seven. So staying up late to watch Letterman definitely was not a good uh, way to get up early. So, but I love Letterman. Yeah, and those early, the, or the first, you know, when he was first on the air, it was, it was nuts. It was it was uh, a lot of really cool and interesting stuff was happening on David Letterman's show. Yeah, and like Chris Elliott and right. the sketches that he would do and just leaning into really absurdist comedy. And yeah. his characters, like the man who lived under the stairs. Or, right. Um, just, and I'm sure that might not have been the name of the character, but or just... Also going out on the street and doing things, man on the street stuff, the interviews or, you know, launching watermelons off the roofs of high buildings and also just um, making fun of corporations. And right. I, I love that. He always had something to say about General Electric. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was basically giving it to the man. But yep. while also, you know, getting a paycheck to do anything he wanted in my eyes, which I really love. Yeah, the, that's the dream. That was the dream. That's the dream. I wrote Chris Elliott a fan letter. And um, <laughs> years later, he was a guest on At Home with Amy Sedaris. And I was a writer and producer on that show. And yeah. I was so starstruck to see him and to meet him. And wow. um Amy being Amy said, Chris, Jody wrote you a fan letter. <laughs> and he just, mm -hmm. and she said it in front of the whole cast and crew. And uh, he said, did I answer it? And I said, no, <laughs> you didn't answer my fan letter. But it was just enough to even think that somebody might've seen my fan letter is like, I was probably a freshman in high school writing Chris Elliott a fan letter. Wow, yeah. freshman year. Freshman year. So you're watching all this. You're staying up late watching Letterman. Do you go to college? I pretended to go to college in New York City. Um, so I, my parents <laughs> didn't necessarily make college a real priority for me, which was strange. But I was like, hey, yeah. shouldn't I be looking at schools or whatever? And um I only wanted to go to school in New York City. So right. I was like, I think I can get into Hunter College um, because out of 98 students, I was 96. <laughs> um, my education wasn't a priority. I was a real goofball. And um, yeah. so I wasn't the best student, but even being 96 out of 98, it was um, a good education. We we really had good teachers. But um so yeah. I got into Hunter College and I studied I didn't know what to study. I studied like filmmaking and dance class and but again my parents weren't really overseeing it and so I stopped going after like a month 
And I started to work in a blues bar uh, illegally in the West Village. And wow. so I um, started to wait on tables in character and nobody mm -hmm. asked me to. And so a person there said to me, um, have you heard of Second City? Mm. <laughs> and that's so weird because I was literally doing really over the top dumb characters in a blues bar while I was waiting on tables. And I said, no, I kind of knew of SCTV. And then I bought a book like this really cheesy Second City book that existed. Right. And I went back to Maine. I raised more money. And then I moved to Chicago around 1988. So a couple years after I graduated from high school, um, wow. I moved to Chicago. I had never been there before. And I, I remember when I moved to Chicago, I got a one-way ticket on an Amtrak train. Oh, you did? And I was 18. Yeah. And just I, I because of why. Second City? I guess, yeah. I I had been in an acting conservatory, and I, I like to describe that period of time in Chicago. Like people were pulled there. I don't I don't know why. I can't tell you why exactly. I knew I didn't know about Dell. I didn't know about, but I knew about Second City. I knew that I wanted to somehow do that, even though I wasn't entirely sure what it was. So you just. Wait, you knew you wanted to do what? Something? So you, did, you knew about Second City or improvisation in Chicago, and that's why you went on the train? Yeah, I knew that I wanted to start where people like John Belushi started. I right. wanted to do that instead of do conservatory acting training. Right. Yeah. What about you? So I heard about Second City, and then I was like, well, that seems to make sense, and I can go to Chicago. So I moved to Chicago with a boyfriend and you know, got a cheap apartment. I'm sure you, you know, have talked about how cheap Chicago could be, but I knew I wanted to study improvisation. And so that was it. I went to Second City and called to find out like what the process was. And they told me I had to take like a improv class before I could audition for Second City. So I went to- Players. No. Oh. Um, something Gardens. It was Victory, Victory Gar Gardens. Victory oh. Gardens. Huh. And my teacher was that guy from Wild Chicago. What was his name? You know who I'm talking about, right? The, uh, the, the, t the host? Wild yeah. Chicago. Anyway, so I did that class and then I auditioned for Second City, the school. Yeah. And I auditioned with Mitch Rouse, was there at my audition. I remember he flew in from, from Nashville, I think, just for the audition for the school. And then I started taking classes at Second City. But while I was in classes, and I'm sure you know, like this, did this happen to you where just people were like, Oh, and you also have to go to Improv Olympic. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go take classes at Improv Olympic too. Right. And then I think Melanie Hutzel told me about The Annoyance. She had just been cast in a show at The Annoyance Theater. So then instead of taking classes at The Annoyance, I was cast in a show at The Annoyance all within a year. I think I was doing the wow. trifecta, including hmm. Dell's class, eventually, because right. you take Sharna's class first. You took Sharna's class first, right? Yeah, I did. And I had the same experience. I was at Second City classes when I heard about I.O. Right. But we didn't call it I.O. No, we called okay. it Papa Milano's Improv Olympic, yeah. And then you took Sharna's class? Oh, it was Sharna Noah? and then Noah and then yeah. Dell. Yeah. That was my, my journey. And what year did you move there? I moved there in 89. Okay, so I was there in 88. So you were there just a year before I was. That's the math. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I was so there. So you're, are you absorbing the classes? What are you, what are you learning about improv? What are you learning about yourself as a performer? Are there any teachers that 
had a big impact. I know you're going to get to Mick Napier. I know you're going to get to Mick because he had an impact on everyone. He runs the Annoyance Theater, or yeah. he, he started the Annoyance Theater in, in Chicago. Um, but before you got to Mick, what would you go so ahead? I was also in the training. I was also work study. So I was a cocktail waitress and a coat check at Second City. Yeah. So I did the thing where you would get to see the show every single night, the same show. And that cast was Farley. I was right. actually, my first night was Mike Myers' last night of doing a show with um, Holly Wartell. And ugh, my brain has just become a sieve. Yeah, Brian McCann and I were just talking about Mike Myers. I, mu I missed that. I didn't know that he was there. I didn't know that he was teaching with Dell and I didn't know he was doing sets. Yeah, it was crazy. So that was a wild, like that was my first night of like training as a waitress. Wow. And it was a, you know, everybody showed up to wish Mike goodbye, a farewell, like before he went to New York. So he and, had been hired for Saturday Night Live? Yeah. Oh, wow. And so I saw like an epic you know, my first night as a waitress in training was like an epic last night for somebody about to become a huge star. And mm. it was the kind of thing where, you know, those sets, like lots of people show up just to drop in and right. do bits and basically pimp people to do their own best material. And so it was a really fun introduction mm. to that place. Yeah. Um, but it was fun in general just to watch after that, watch that show every night. And like David Pasquese was on stage, Tim Meadows, Farley, um, Holly Wartell. Um, was it Joel Murray in that cast? Joel Murray. And then, you know, to see the sets were really fun. And, yeah. um, but at the same time, to go back to like what was, the biggest influence, it was like being able to carve out the education for myself through the various outlets. So Second City was very structured and, you know, it was political satire and there was like writing on your feet and there was a bit of a formula and you plugged in to what they needed as far as like, you know, eventually I was hired on their touring company. But there was definitely a formula to what those touring companies looked like. And it was cool to be a professional actor. And then yeah. IO, it was a whole other thing. Like, you know, that class was packed. Like you used to, did you have this experience where, especially in Dell's class, people would just run to the stage because there were so many people in the classroom. You didn't know if you'd get stage time. Yeah. You know, you didn't know if you'd get to improvise yeah. anything. So people would literally run to the stage and then yeah. you'd look around and you'd be like, whoa, look who's on this stage with me right now. And, you know, he'd be like seven more or whatever it be. And so you didn't know if you'd always get to be able to improvise in Dell's right. class. Yeah. Um, but that was a place like we must have been we were in the same class. For sure. I, I think we were. I remember hearing about you and then like kind of being a step behind you always. And then, I, but I do remember doing a set with you and you did something that I'll never forget to this day where you started in the middle. And it was a new idea to me at the time. And I just remember it blew my mind. That's cool. I mean, I remember, you know, I remember at Improv Olympic, first of all, being a lot of guys <laughs> that were so yes. talented and the number of women were so much less, which really sucked. So, yes, let's unpack. Was... Let's unpack, though. <laughs> I, I want to get there. I want to talk about that. But what is starting in the middle mean to you in an improvised scene? And yeah, what does that mean to you? And how did you learn it? I feel like I learned it from Dell because I do think there was a part of his class that was so much about like the filmic piece of being an improviser and the movie of it all and how we didn't have to always 
it was the place where you didn't have to establish a who, what, and where with lines of exposition. Mm-hmm. It was more like a gesture, a feeling, an energy, an mm. assumption, and um, right of like laying the groundwork through emotion. And so that gave me a lot of freedom because he would do a lot of, I remember us studying at the time a lot about like what you learn from films and how that can translate into a herald. And I feel like he was really reinforcing starting in the middle. And it gave me so much freedom because I always found starting scenes so intimidating, especially being surrounded by so many talented people. Right. It's so common for improvisers to feel that way. It feels like whatever I say is going to be the wrong thing as far as starting a scene. Yeah. But if you start in the middle. Right. The other person can also make the assumption of what happened before and you're building the before and after together. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're starting at the beginning, (laughs) it's like, it feels so like, oh, I'm carrying this on my back because I've just established the beginning of it. But if I start in the middle, then we both establish where we were before and where we are after. So when you say starting in the middle, I like to think of it as like an emotional place, yeah. a sense of urgency, yeah, and a, an immediate connection. Totally. Yeah. And from Mick, which I'll dip into that a little bit, right. who also Mick Napier, Mick Napier, who also did a lot of that kind of work of starting in the middle and the emotion. It can be, and Mick is very much this way: a gesture, a look, a move. You know, it's mm. about your body on stage. Yes. And, and you can just look at each other and not say anything, and you're in the middle. Right. And I love that. Like, Mick really kind of made that work more granular. Um, and I loved just being able to really get inside what it is to start in the middle. Mm. Um, and being that kind of silence but we've already been, we've already maybe had a conversation for an hour and this is the one Mm. 30 seconds gap. Mm -hmm. But I I love that. I love that. I've been trying to bring that in to classes these days. It's been challenging because premise setup has been so ingrained in New York City Mm -hmm. that to, bringing those ideas has been challenging, but it's exciting now um, because it is such a fun place to start a scene. I love it. I, I, you know, not to jump forward, but I felt like you and I did our show together years later. Oh yeah. We did a show called Lennon and McCartney at the first Upright Citizens Brigade space on 22nd Street, directed by Ali Faranakian. Correct. And I feel like that to me was a study, you know, it was a study of relationships. There was a, a, you know, the before, after, and future of relationships. And, but I felt like that show really was supportive of that starting in the middle kind of improvisation because it did give us permission to establish deep relationships without having to start at the beginning of a, like a scene or a relationship, you know? Yeah, that show we did at UCB was so much fun. Uh, Lennon and McCartney live. And we had a violinist. And we had a violinist, that's right. I've been working with a violinist recently. Uh, who, what was the name of the violinist? I can't remember, he was fantastic. I wanna say Woody. No, I no. remembered if it was Woody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I don't He was know. amazing. Yes, he was great. I feel terrible. I can't remember his name right now. I did too, uh, but. I okay, so it's a boys club at the IO. Uh, it's yeah. a white boys club. And yeah. you are, you and who else is there? Susan Messing. Yeah. And, um, oh, geez, Louise. 
It was just the two of us. No. Annie, um, right. Annie Watson, EJ Peters. Yes, EJ. Um, oh, I can't remember Patrick. There was this one woman who used to play with us on The Victim's Family. Ah. Do you remember her? Was it? Mitch Rouse had a girlfriend at the time that was yes. too. I remember Mitch Rouse's girlfriend. I, th I think her name was Gia. Yes. Gia was, was playing Gia. with us, but it yeah. wasn't her. No. Um, oh, and like, but she wasn't around the same time I was, but Laura Kraft, like, right. I, you know, definitely was at IO too. Yeah. But you're there and it's sort of like just, like, I was just talking with Brian and he was, he might have been there a little bit before you, Brian McCant. Yeah. And then you're there, so it's just, just, it's not a teenager yet. It's still, it's like two. It's in the terrible twos. And it's, people are starting to come in from everywhere to take class. And are you, you feeling good about Dell? Dell is a, a good teacher for you? He was. I think it was definitely complicated. <laughs> the way... Um, those classes felt to me because it was so the just to be a woman and trying to get stage time around all these guys too yeah. and the, you know some of the conversations around how women are on stage were slightly odd sometimes you know <laughs> like yeah. it was stuff that you would never say these days just and you from Dell was he I guess so. I just feel like, you know, at a certain point, some of Dell's classes became conversations more right. so than active classes. Right. And so I don't know if I heard a lot of favorable conversations about some of the women that he was influenced by, which was something that I was actively looking for sometimes. Yeah. Um, but. I didn't, I wasn't the kind of person that was like, oh, therefore I'm shutting down. I definitely got a lot of good from his classes and enjoyed the conversations that he was having. I wish some of them were more active and I wish I was able to have more stage time. Um, but it was just the classes were so packed. And right. frankly, there were faster men that would beat me to the stages than like you literally were running to get on stage. Um, so yeah. that was complicated. Yeah, I remember. I remember the running to get on stage. But I was there that moment when he left, and he decided he was taking a break. Oh, tell me about that. You don't remember? Were you there when? I might have been. I, there's so much. He I don't brought remember. out the runes. He brought out the what? Are they called runes? These runes? dice, or he was practicing reading. Oh, yeah, I vaguely remember this. And so he came in and mm -hmm. he had each of the students throw a die or this mm -hmm. thing, I think. And then he said, this was our future for the class. He read and said <laughs> oh that God. the class would have a positive move forward or some kind of thing like that. And that he was taking a break. And then he left and it was the beginning of the class. Wow. And <laughs> who came in and taught? Did you take so, over? No, we all looked at Sharna. She was there and she didn't know it was happening. And there was a whole, like, there was like applause kind of. I, I remember applause for when he left. Mm, I wish just... you had heard me talk about this before you talked to Brian Stack because I know Brian Stack was there and Mitch was there. Jay, no, I haven't I... talked to Stack yet. I talked to him. Oh, okay. Can't. Jay Leggett was there. Jay Leggett got very upset. Mm. Pete Holney was there. Mitch. Like, we were all like, what now? Because basically, we were all there to take Dell's class. Right. Um, Sharna didn't have an answer for us. And I do, to be fair, think Dell came back soon after that. You know, he was at the time, I think he was exploring more of his theater work. Mm. And Hollywood was calling. You know, so oh, I right. think he was just like, I'm kind of done for a while. He had to go do the blob. Did you see the documentary? <laughs> no. You should watch it. It's really, 
really captivating. And it's the whole thing with Elaine May and his love for Elaine May and Mike Nichols taking her to New York. Yeah. I did not know anything about that. Oh, see, I wish I'd heard about that when we were in his class, but that's interesting. I know, I know. Me too. I love Elaine May. Apparently so did Dell. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but I I did like those classes, but mostly I feel like I learned from also the people we were on stage with and doing those yeah. shows, you know, those weekly shows that when we were on teams together and, you know, what were like sidetracks, like all those tiny stages and just hanging out, you know, and going from Second City shows or your classes and then going and doing IO shows and then eventually doing annoyance shows like that was like the best. I was like on stage all the time. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the great things we had back then. And one of the things that when I see the sort of way things are now, I feel like uh, improvisers in their 20s have that opportunity now. There's a lot of spaces, small spaces that they can go. It feels like I was saying on the episode with McCann, it feels like Chicago in the 90s a little bit, New York right now. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love Brian McCann. Man, what a goofball. Oh, my God. He's the funniest guy. He's the funniest. He's he... just the funniest. So I remember walking in to see Coed Prison Sluts, which was at the Annoyance, which was at a funeral home. And I remember both a combination of complete giddiness and absolute terror. <laughs> that sounds right. It yeah. was off the hook. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if that show would be able to be done now, but the energy of that place and the freedom yeah. of that place was intoxicating. What was your first experience at the Annoyance? I was cast in a show called Manson the Musical. Oh, uh, yeah. By Tom Booker. And I had, I guess he, he had seen me at Second City. And Ben Zook played Charlie Manson. Right. And it was fun because... You know, it was a show that had a lot of women in it, and uh, it was a musical, and, um, you know, we were on the fringe of the theater because Mick was the main director at the Annoyance Theater and the creator of the theater, but at the time, he was just starting to say to other people within, like, the Annoyance Theater collective you can also do your own shows. And so Tom Booker was one of the first people to put up a show. And the formula of the Annoyance Theater was unusual and shocking title. Like you had to have a shocking title for the concept of the show. So Booker came up with the show Manson the Musical and that met the formula. And then the show was created through improvisation. Nothing was ever written down. We just kind of remembered our beats. There were asks of us, like, you know, um, I played Linda Kasabian, one of the women who ended up, like, becoming state's witness and squealing on the Manson family. Mm -hmm. And um, so I knew what my character was. We would do character work. We would do... Uh, improvised music and until the night of the show. And then it ran forever. Um, and then, you know, you just became part of this club. The Annoyance was a place where there were tons of different shows yeah. going up and people were trying stuff. And, and it was queer friendly. It wasn't just right. straight white dudes doing comedy. It was... You know, Ben Zook as Charlie Manson. It was much yeah. more open-minded as far as... Totally. As, and I yeah. love that, too, because it definitely exposed me to a community of people that were, I felt, more open-minded than um, some of the stages that I had already been on, like, or just a different, you know, a different background. 
So, you know, if you come from Second City, that's definitely educated, smart, like the brainiacs. IO had smart people too, but it, you know, they weren't trying to do overt satire in a sketch kind of way. It was more like the thinking man's herald, like real thoughtful and looking for connections and really trying the sports of it all, like trying to crack that format of a, Mm. you know, but the annoyance was um, really just eclectic. You know, we called it the land of misfit toys. It was just like Mm-hmm. a really fun group of different people and i yeah. love that i i just loved it and i still am you know mick napier got married last year during the pandemic right and to jennifer eslin it was a huge zoom wedding and it was still um it's still lots of people that i met so many years ago and we all did these zoom rooms at like a reception it was so weird but it was so fun to see everybody i'll bet tom booker tom booker was the i think he he was in code presence he was also on blue velveta so yeah. while a lot of the people are annoyance everybody meets at it seems to be like a lot of us met at io we all sort of there was always the house team to go to and do a show at io and then people yeah. would either go to annoyance or i would go do plays yeah. Um, uh, or, or other people would go to second city, uh, and Booker was hilarious. I think he's moved to Austin and, uh, I think he was running an improv theater out there, but oh my God, he used to kill me. All those, but Tom Booker, yeah, he was on Blue Velveeta. Did you ever play with Blue Velveeta? Were you ever on a house team at the IO? I feel like you must've been like the so one with staff. I was part of Victim's family early on. Oh, when and I did do many different house teams. That's maybe that's where we probably did our set. That's where I was blown away by how you started in the middle. Probably. Yeah. So I was definitely part of victims family. And there was an early like, you know, I feel like one of the unfortunate things as a woman, I was moved around constantly because it Mm. was just like, oh, so and so dropped out. And so can you move over to that team? Right. But I spent a good two years with like Peter Marietta, Brian Stack was on a team of mine, Pete Holney. Um, right. You know, I was all over the place. Pasquazi was one of my first Herald coaches. Wow. Um, but, you know, I was around. But yeah. didn't make house team status. I was never in a Blue Velveeta league of a team. Well, there was only Blue Velveeta, and then there was The Family. The Family. And then there was, I don't know what else came after that. As far as I'm concerned, nothing came after that. (laughs) So, of course, lots came after that. Uh, I was just reading about some team that was around forever. I think they were called The Reckoning, which I I was sort of watching their opening and trying to figure out how to make it work now in in New York. So when are you? Deep you get into it. I love how you're still like keeping your eye on it all and you're, you know, teaching and talking about it and still constantly thinking about improvisation. I love that so much. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm teaching it and I, I want to, I want to give as much as I possibly can. So sometimes I have to go down these, uh, memory, because I don't remember. I don't remember so much. I don't. I was talking with Keckner, and I was like, I don't remember Dell's class except for the beginning when he'd asked for weed, and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then like wanting to please him, yeah. and and like wanting to get on stage a lot. Right. Yeah, that was my experience. So the annoyance. So Mick and you. Mick is building the annoyance at this time. It it, it was out of. I, th- I believe it was at a funeral home and then it got its own space and became this own thing. And you are, you are, you are all in at the annoyance. <laughs> Literally. I lived at the annoyance because no. Nick and I were dating. What? Said, yeah. I never do that. Oh my God. Yeah. So I was in deep wow. 
And I was living, Mick had an apartment above the theater. There was like yeah. an A-frame on top of the theater. And there was like a Swiss Family Robinson like spiral staircase that went up to his bedroom. Mm. And below his bedroom, there was like a big living room in the office and um, a dressing wow. room. And then you'd go down the stairs to the theater. And inevitably, somebody would do a show and they would be in one of Mick's shirts or with one of Mick's books. Like he had no privacy. Um, and that included, you know, I was so entrenched. I was, I was dating Mick. I was living in the theater for a good stretch of time um, wow. before I moved to New York. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had no idea. That's what happened. So I was very entrenched in it. Um, at the same time, I was also, you know, auditioning, all that stuff. And right. um, eventually moved to New York. So you come with Mitch Rouse and Paul Danello and Amy Sedaris. When do you meet Amy Sedaris? So Mick was uh, directing Second City shows. Right. And I just wanted to, I would go and watch at every set at Northwest. And I started to meet Amy and Jackie Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Um, Scott Adsett. Right. And so I would watch those shows every night that he was directing and go out to Northwest and just watch. And so Amy... Mick is directing out at Northwest, which was a what there was Second City, the the sort of primary place on Well Street. And then they had this theater a little bit outside of Chicago. Where was that theater? Uh, I don't know exactly. It was just a little outside of Chicago, and it was called the Second City Northwest. It was like in a mall. Yeah, I was in a mall. I remember I, I think I understudied there one night. That makes sense. And and then it closed. But in the meantime, Mick's out there. So they're they're trying out Mick for Second City. Has Pinata happened yet? Pinata full of bees? No. Okay, so it was so... really early on. Right. And then I would just watch him direct, and that's when I met Amy. And was just blown away, of course. Yes, and Amy Sedaris. I remember seeing her on the main stage and being, and also being blown away. Yeah. yeah. She was just doing stuff character-wise that was so, you know, everybody knows. Like, it was so rich and real, but also unusual. Right. <laughs> and I was yes. in, in, just couldn't take my eyes off her. And... She was doing, also starting to do work with her brother and would put up little shows with Cheryl Trick. Remember Cheryl Trick in Chicago? She was part of like the performance art scene. Mm. Um, but they would do these variety shows. And um, Amy asked me to do a show called Help Daddy. And... We each got like five minutes and Amy had seen me perform. And so I got to do like five minutes and I did a thing called Jody on a stool, which was just like a parody of one person shows. And right. um, so she was also like she kind of saw me and, you know, asked me to do that, which was cool. And then I auditioned for what would become Exit 57 soon after um, and ended up bringing me to New York. And then also at the same time doing a play, uh, One Woman Shoe that she and David had written. Okay, so Amy Sedaris's brother is the writer David Sedaris. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you're doing a play that they wrote and it's a, it's a one woman show? No, it was called no. One Woman Shoe. Right. And it was this. at La Mama. And the right. premise was women had to put on one woman shows in order to get their checks, like um, uh, well, like their unemployment checks or their SSI, I guess it was. Mm -hmm. And part of the joke was there was a typo in the um, announcement. Every woman got uh, like an, a, a, a letter in the mail. It says, one woman shoe. Um, but anyway, so I played a woman who was down on her luck and was a, I did a tap dance um, as my one woman show thing. But it was a full play. It was 
a re- over the top. Sh- uh, Sarah Thyer was in it. Jackie Hoffman, David Rakoff. Right. Um, wow, there's so you have so much in your um, resume. Are you that, looking at my resume? No, I'm just remembering now. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm wondering, did you do the Brady Bunch thing? I did as like, a, I was like an understudy or did like all the extra parts and stuff. So but yeah, that's always. Just for somebody listening and for my own clarification, there's a time in Chicago where people are starting to come to New York. And that sort of starts with... The Soloway sisters, in my, from my memory, uh, Faith and Jill Soloway, now Joey Soloway. Correct. Um, and they do this live version of the Brady Bunch, which they were doing at the Annoyance, and it was Correct. this big hit. And then they do it in New York, and it's also a big hit. Correct. And yes, and then they went out to L.A. with it, too. And that, uh, I don't remember, it was probably around 93, I think, that that happened. And um, Andy Richter was doing it and went out to New York with it. And uh, Becky Thayer. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they were doing that. In addition, like, it also had a show called The Real Life Game Show that would open for it. And it was like an over-the-top campy game show and then they would do the real live brady bunch which was real reenactments of actual scripts of the brady bunch which Mm -hmm. sounds like oh i've seen that before now but at the time nobody was doing anything like that yeah and um it was hugely popular it was like the most popular show at the annoyance of the time it made and this is before this is before ucb has come to new york yes yeah Definitely, because I was in New York doing Exit 57 before there was UCB even. Yeah. So, yeah. Walsh was at the Annoyance too, Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh, yeah. Um, Matt Walsh from the Upright Citizens Brigade. Yeah, I became friends with Walsh at the Annoyance, and we did a show called Tippy Portrait of a Virgin, an after-school special gone bad together um (laughs) but he he's still a good friend that's the thing and i'm sure you've experienced that and this is part of what your podcast is about it's like those relationships are so entrenched in who i am and yeah remain true like i'm doing i'm directing a show with julie klausner coming up at joe's pub and we're collaborating with faith soloway so wow. Faith and Julie are doing a song together, and that makes me so happy. And to be able to see Faith and Joey Soloway endorsed me for the DGA. I joined the DGA, and right I learned on. so much from the Soloways. And to be able to ask Joey to endorse me for my DGA card meant a lot to me because you need people who have influenced you for that um, mm. position. And I, I really wanted joey to be one of those people yeah yeah that time in chicago it's like the connections made during that time the the friendships and then the creativity that 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 happened to be there as well was uh just there's nothing like it there was nothing like it but i want to feel like there is because even like i look at the annoy the new annoyance that came into brooklyn and I was involved in that a little bit. Um, Mick asked me to just- I remember, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like the team of people that- um, I feel like there is now, I feel like- Kick that off, yeah. I feel like if, you know, uh, uh, in their, if you're in your 20s now and you just came out of that lockdown and that you're sort of like navigating the scene again and things have changed in New York, I think it's, I think those kind of, um, relationships are happening now yeah i would like to think so i see lots of people supporting each other in a way that feels good to me and i i see people influencing each other and pushing each other and that's what we were doing and yeah I, i i do see evidence of that so exit 57 is a comedy sketch show on the comedy on comedy central comedy central 
And what was that experience like for you? It's a, it's a television show. Had you done any television before that? No. No. And I no. Um, and we were writer performers, so right. also like we had big weird like computers. <laughs> like I'd never touched a computer. Like right. who had a computer? And um, Nobody you know they had. were like word processors. Right. I don't know what I was using, but you know. It wasn't anything, I hadn't even taken a writing class or a sketch writing class. They weren't really, I guess maybe Michael McCarthy was teaching something like that. But um, it was fun, you know, working with Colbert and Paul Danello and Mitch and Amy. I, I learned a lot and they were so, um, they had a really good work ethic. Yeah. So that was great. Um, trying to find my own voice in that was right. hard, but I, you know, I was supported, so it was good. But now looking back, those sketches are so long. It's shocking that we made them, but right. comedy was, sketches were longer then. Um, but it was an overall good experience. Mick came, Mick Napier came in and was like a creative director. We would improvise to get to our sketches sometimes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Are you are you still doing the thing that got you there in the first place? Character, character, character. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And also just looking at outside things that influenced me and us of like either movies or music and seeing how that could play out and inform our characters. But yeah, character stuff was always the thing that excited me the most. Yeah. Um and how do you approach character? When I was super into characters, I would see somebody interesting on the street, and then I'd try and figure out how they moved and talked. Yeah, and, totally. Or I'd find somebody from a comic book or from a novel. Books, I'd like to steal from books. I would just steal, like, I could get a whole biography from a character I read in the book. I love that. Yeah. I w Similarly, you know, it goes back to the Carol Burnett experience yeah. of, like, really not being too afraid and just trying stuff. Yeah. Um, I, at the time, because so many people like, you know, SNL was where you'd look and people were, that was the outlet for characters. And sometimes, you know, there was like the taboo, you don't do somebody else's character kind of thing. But right. I often also felt like, don't be afraid if even if you feel like, oh, that person's kind of doing a character like that, keep working on it because you might get past what you think is what that person's doing. But ultimately, same thing, like finding a hook, either a line, a point of view of how it lives in your body. I'm from a big proponent of the physicality of it all, mm -hmm. um, the muscle memory of where it lives in your body. Mm-hmm. Look at us geeking out. Po right? <laughs> point but of I view, love that. Point of view, point of view, point of point view. Point of view, for sure. And, you know, how that informs every move, like the little internal log line of what that character's point of view is. Mm. Um, there's, like, do you know Hannah Pilkes? She, she's a person yes. from... Um, She's just moved to New York, but she's somebody who's teaching character work right now, too. Mm -hmm. But she's a great character performer. And I actually tried to sign up for her character workshop recently because I was like, I would oh, love right to take on. a character class. But um, that's so cool. I, I can't do the time right this second, but I want to take her character class because I love what she's doing and I want to see what her deal is. What's the name? Hannah Pilsky? Pilkies, P-E-L-K-E-S. I believe it's Dutch. Pelkis. I just love continually taking classes. What's the last class you took? Last class I took was a musical improv class. Oh, I and love I, that. I loved it. It was great. We had a great teacher at the pit. Uh, it was like a very slow summer. And I was like, why not? Now I want to take a stand-up class. Oh, we have, a, have, we you, have a, you must have taken a stand-up class before. I've never, you? never taken a stand-up. I've never done stand-up. You've I, never done stand-up? I don't even like stand-up, <gasps> but that's why I want to take a class in it, just so I can figure it out. Oh, interesting. But you've performed alone. Yes, I have. Which I know is different. 
I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I would say I, I'm, I, I'm an actor first and writing jokes is second. Like it wasn't, that wasn't the priority. Right. Taking class is good. Always taking a class or being interested enough or humble enough to be like, you know what? I'm going to take that class. I agree. And you can get your own, even from, I'd like to think, the worst of teachers, you can get yeah. something from maybe a great fellow performer or mm -hmm. a great, you know, or even if you get a nugget out of a teacher that you don't totally align with, well, that seems worth it. Just like a little something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, a lot of people take, you know, writing classes just to finish their scripts. True. Just to have a deadline. Yep. That's a good point. Your whole career is so fascinating and I'm very sort of envious of it because you've sort of done exactly what you wanted to do and you've been able to do it for as long as you've been doing it. When do you start... When do you sort of start writing that, like, I'm going to be a writer thing? Um, hmm. Well, I think it's like that goes back to Chicago. Like, we had to do everything. Right. You know, you had to put up your own show or, you know, you know sell the tickets or teach a class, all that stuff. And so you also had to write it. And you could never depend on somebody else asking you to do something. So I guess that was always part of it was yeah. just like early on, I got a video camera, you know, mm -hmm. and I think I was always like, oh, I'm just going to start to try to make my own stuff. And um, that felt like early ways in for writing for me. And I got the same camera as um uh eric drysdale who's a funny writer in new york and yeah. we both decided okay we've got the same exact camera we'll do a two camera shoot and we bought wireless lavalier microphones like really cheesy ones um and we tried to make short films together and that was like a good kickoff on like okay i know i have to write this scene this scene this scene and it was just knowing that the end result would be like a short film to make helped my writing muscle yeah just doing it diy your whole thing is diy right chicago style chicago style drag it through the garden baby <laughs> now i want a hot dog so do i and i want some of those fucking cheese fries from the wiener circle did you oh. those? oh my god it was like real cheddar just like globs of real cheddar some good bad food there oh, so much good bad food in chicago aren't you glad you're here though now oh yeah i mean i love chicago and i'm so happy to visit when i do yeah i don't want but to i really chicago. really love new york oh i do too i love the comedy scene here and yeah i love people who stuck it out here and yeah. still do comedy here and there's something still that feels edgy about New York to me. And I, I, yeah. I love that. Oh, I'm from New York. I love New York. I'm, I'm New York all, all the way. Uh, you're working with Julie Clouser now. She was, she was in my, when I taught at UCB, she was, she was in my, one of my classes there. She's brilliant. You also yeah. wrote for her show, Difficult People. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when did that relationship start? Um, you know, I feel like if, as you hang out in New York long enough, again, you start to be exposed to other people that are doing similar things as you. And so I don't yeah. remember our exact crossing, but early on, she asked me to work on her show. And so I went on, I worked on three seasons. Um, Such a great show. Yeah. It's, it's, she's one of the funniest writers yeah. ever. Yeah. Like, She's just talk about somebody who knows her own voice, but also just that show. I encourage anybody if you haven't seen it, yep. go check it out. All three seasons, but difficult people on Hulu. She's so smart and funny and solid joke writer. Yeah, really great. I've learned a lot from her. 
Um, yeah. I love working with her. I've directed her one person like cabaret shows before, and she's so talented and funny and smart. Yeah, I almost said fart and smutty. That she's that too. She's fart and smutty. Um, but you know, the through the scene. Yep, through the scene. Just get immersed in the scene and create, create, create. That's what you've done, and you've managed to turn it into a life. Yeah, I can't believe it. I, it's amazing. I pinch myself sometimes still to this day. I'm like, you know those moments, do you have these where you like, as cheesy as it is, you're like in Times Square, and you're like, 18-year-old Jody Leonard would be so happy right now. And I am excited still i can't believe yeah. i get to do these things that i get to do have you i know you and i would improvise occasionally before pandemic yeah which is always you know i think something no matter where i hope all of us are we all sort of want to improvise again at some point i know it's done a lot for me coming back to improv do you ever get the itch to play again? I do, but I'm also one of those people who just, I've still been locked up <laughs> a lot and just, yeah. Um, I've been very, very cautious. Oh, you're not the only this. one. Yeah. Um, so I'm dipping my toe back into society, but it still feels so strange. And even this conversation, I'll feel like, Oh, was I okay? Because I'm, I'm definitely suffering a little social anxiety of not being used to being around many people. So mm. um, it's strange getting out there again. So I think I would um, definitely love to improvise in the not-so-distant future. Sounds like a dream. Um, yeah. But I don't know how that'll happen for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it will happen, I'm sure. Thank it just you, takes, there's a lot of us, a lot of people I know that are still like, oh, I don't know. And then I've been teaching in real life since June. So I've just been, and thank God I haven't gotten it. Knock on yeah. wood. But it's, um, it's, we have to remember there's a lot of us that are still like not, not fully in the world yet. And I don't know if that's going to change. I mean, I think the summer is going to be, insane but god help us in the fall yeah i i'm hopeful that we're slightly on the other side and people are just if we get it we'll just be a little sick i yeah. don't know i don't know i don't want it um but i would love to improvise with you in particular oh I've yeah i've always enjoyed improvising with you i love so playing fun. with jody lennon you are all in so before i ask before i let you go um could you just uh, tell me three of your career highlights because there's oh so God. much to your body of work. I just want to emphasize. I want to emphasize at home with Amy Sedaris. Oh, well, that's nice. Um, I, I did love working on that show. Um, yeah. With Cindy. I'm going to talk to Cindy. Cindy Capanera. And next week. She's so funny. Yeah. Um, she always used to, at, she, she was a writer on Exit 57. Ah. And she always used to say to us, you gotta think TV, which is just <laughs> like in a Cindy kind of way, how perfect that is. Um, yeah. She's hands down just so, what a funny woman. I loved watching her at Second City too. Um, yeah. Patrick, I can't name three. I just feel like, uh, you know. I'm 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 a happy woman who uh as you say kind of continues to be able to do things that I like to do in my life. Mm -hmm. Um so. Yeah, what was the have you ever felt like you were like what's the closest you felt like you were like oh I I think I'm I'm giving giving it up. I'm I'm selling my soul out a little bit on this one. When I first moved to New York, I didn't know what I was doing at all, and I was flailing, yeah, and yeah. therefore I ended up waiting on tables and character. But 
I used to try to do open mic nights and stuff like that. Like, I'm like, am I a stand-up? I think I like to be on stage. Right. But, and I was really lost until I found improvisation. But then even when I was still trying to like audition and transitioning from like, oh, I thought I always wanted to be on stage or like be on television and then realizing, oh, that's not where I should be. Um, that was tough trying to do that whole audition and have an agent thing and then realizing, oh, but I just like, I really like making funny things Yeah. and I don't need to be the person saying the funny things. So what would you tell uh, a young woman who's feeling overwhelmed by that whole, oh, I got to have an agent. I have to do this. I have to do that. I just did all the levels at this theater and I have to do this thing. What would, what would your advice be? Just like, it's so cliche, but it's just like, keep at it and keep finding the people that you like to make stuff with and keep making stuff with them. And there may be gaps in between those times when you continue to make stuff with your friends and the people that influence you, but you'll continue to find more people that you get to make things with that you also like to yeah. be influenced by. It doesn't need to be the same pack of people. It's, it's um, but just keep on trucking. Keep on trucking. Jody. thank you so much for doing this. Hey, I loved it. I, I really have enjoyed your influence on me. So thanks for talking to me. Start in the middle. Start in the middle. Uh, I'll talk to you soon, I hope. Yep, bye Patrick. Bye. Well, there you have it. That was Patrick McCartney going one-on-one -on -one with Jody Lennon. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can support it directly on our page on anchor.fm. If you want to reach out to us, we are centraliaimprovisation at gmail.com. Be sure to find us on the Facebooks and the Instagrams and the Twitters. And please like, subscribe, and comment wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time on the Centralia Improvisational Podcast.